welcome to Navigating the Spectrum with Michelle Portlock. I'm your host, Michelle Portlock, and I'm so happy to have you with me today. Today, my guest is Emily McAllister. Emily is a certified life coach and co-founder of Lead with Love Coaching, LLC. She is also a mother and a champion for helping people to find their individual worth. She utilizes the science and psychology-based program of Clarity Point in working with her clients, specifically parents, youth, and young adults who are trying to navigate their faith as well as LGBTQ plus and neurodiversity issues. Emily, thank you so much for being with me today. I'm so excited to be here. Just oh, excited. I, I love hearing that because I've been really anxious to record this podcast with you because you listeners just know that Emily and I connected through my mother-in-law and I think we're going to be lifers. <laughs> I think that's true. I think that's true. <laughs> I I do too. So yeah. here's why I want, there are many reasons actually why I wanted Emily to be on the podcast with me today, but specifically I'm focusing on her oldest son and his autism diagnosis because mm-hmm. I'm really in the zone focused on diagnosis processes and experiences. And so Emily was gracious enough to say yes. So we're going to talk about that together today. Emily, let's talk about the diagnosis process for your oldest son. How did that take shape? What were you seeing that led to a diagnosis? It was not a very clear, it it was not like a really linear journey for Mm -hmm. me for him. So I can kind of tell you what we were seeing and what happened. He was diagnosed when he was nine years old. So when he was about three years old, we started really, I call that just kind of, it was like he fell apart was kind of how it felt. It was like, and I thought, oh, we've, we've just reached the terrible twos a year later was really kind of what I thought he was kind of an intense little one struggled to sleep Mm. I just had no reference point he was my first and I just have always believed every child is different so Mm -hmm. I, I grew up I'm the oldest of seven kids so I was like well every kid is different I would talk to my mom who was just this amazing mother and she'd say well this is just him so you just got to figure out what to do with him. And I was like, okay. So around that three years old, he started having meltdowns, but they didn't feel like temper tantrums. Mm-hmm. They felt so more, so much more extreme. They were really intense for both of us. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't just me that felt the intensity of them. He would too. And I mm-hmm. think I can look back now and see that they were pretty frightening for him, yes. um, but had no reference point to that. I read every single book I could get my hands on in terms of parenting. How did that work for you? Well, you know, <laughs> he did not fit those parenting, um, the typical parenting things. Models. Those, yes. 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 I I am so with you on that. I just yeah. connected when you said that that you read all the parenting books because I I went down the same path mm-hmm. and every time I'd read one and I'd try to implement some of the techniques that they said worked, 
or woodwork, it, it, it felt like I constantly had a red buzzer mm-hmm. go off the saying failed. <laughs> and yes. So it does a number on your self-esteem as a parent. Right. It, it, it was such an interesting time. I remember pretty young, t- uh, three and four, talking to my doctor about it. Like, mm-hmm. um, because some of these things were happening. Like I would put peanut butter on the, on bread incorrectly. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't know what it means that I, I don't know what I did wrong for you. Mm-hmm. Socks, sensory, clothing sensory was a big issue for him mm-hmm. and, and has continued to be, that's mm-hmm. changed a bit, but, uh, the, the clothing sensory stuff was huge. Um, he was a very picky eater mm-hmm. and um, had very precise ways that he wanted things done. Mm-hmm. So I remember we came up with these little charts for him, right? I thought, well, maybe we just need a chart. <laughs> Charts because, solve all problems. <laughs> right. <laughs> and those were the worst because if we got off at all yeah the whole day was over the day was mm-hmm. over because he had this thing as he really developed his language as well i would say let's start over and he would be like i can't because we couldn't go back to the start of the day oh so uh-huh. it was very literal for him very literal for him mm-hmm. there was no starting over because we'd already been through the day So then I just started looking for books, looking for anything that could help me that was specific to what I was seeing. So clothing sensory issues, I looked up sensitive kids stuff Mm -hmm. and I would read books about sensitive kids and I'd get information about that. Mm -hmm. Angry children. Okay. I'd read that. (laughs) And I would find different techniques that would were useful, but did not solve our issues that we were having. Sure. Um, I can't tell you how many times I would have other parents say to me, have you, have you thought about having him count to 10? (laughs) And I thought, and I remember like the fourth or fifth parent that said that to me thinking, no, I've never tried that thinking I have tried everything that I can think of. Yes. For this child. And I went to the doctor and just said, these are the things I'm concerned about. And I had looked up online, which I know you're not supposed to do, but I was like, I was really drawn to feeling like he was probably autistic Mm -hmm. at the time. Asperger's was the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I think he might be in that area. And my doctor who was a great doctor said, "Mm, I don't think that's true. I mean, he smiles, he talks, he's, you know, he didn't really Mm -hmm. meet at the time what more of the criteria was looking for. So, and it was interesting because he hated doing crafts. He hated coloring because he couldn't do those things perfectly. So then I was like, well, maybe he has OCD. Mm -hmm. So we would talk to the doctor and they'd say, well, OCD really comes out later in life like let's keep an eye on him like Mm -hmm. nine and ten we're gonna start seeing that but so it was a very from three to nine was this very frustrating place Mm -hmm. because 
I felt like we were in the fight of our lives with this child every day Mm -hmm. and he was as well. And we had no real clear idea of what to do. It was like I was piecemealing everything. Well, you Um, knew, sounds like you knew exactly what was happening, of course, mm because you're the mom and you knew what your struggles were, but no one was validating Mm -hmm. those struggles by saying, you know, you're right. That's not actually typical developmental behavior. They they weren't giving you resources. They weren't validating your experiences. And so I feel like that can be a really lonely space for a parent. Did you feel that? Oh, so lonely. And I felt like a bad parent. Mm -hmm. I felt like a horrible parent when around the same time that he turned three, I had just had another baby Mm -hmm. and my daughter, I did have a moment where I realized I was doing all the same parenting with her and we were not having the same struggles. Mm-hmm. And there was that moment where I was like, oh, maybe it is just, he needs, I always just felt like he needs something different and mm-hmm. I don't know what to give him. Yes. And so many people around us would make comments about how lenient we were mm-hmm. because when he would have a meltdown, we wouldn't spank him mm-hmm. or punish him or, you know, it it was so, there was also this very judgmental space at the time. I felt like comments were made very judged Mm -hmm. that somehow we weren't doing the right thing. So we ended up deciding to keep him. We waited to send him to kindergarten. I knew he was not emotionally ready. Intellectually, he was very much there. Mm -hmm. He is um, twice exceptional. We've identified that now he's you know been identified as gifted and once we got his diagnosis we also found out he was ADHD so he had a lot going on in that brain of his of different Mm -hmm. wiring and different ways that he viewed the world um for me the time I I really started recognizing the social I think I always kind of knew that there was social there but Mm-hmm. For me, it was, he's so, in, he's so intelligent that it was hard for little kids sometimes to play with him. He liked playing with older kids. Yes. He liked talking to adults, even as mm-hmm. a young child. So I went to Cub Scout camp with him because I knew he couldn't go by himself. Mm-hmm. So I went as an adult leader and that for me was probably the most heartbreaking experience one of the most heartbreaking experiences because, you know, they chose buddies. Nobody chose him. And I started recognizing how out of things he was socially, not for Mm -hmm. lack of trying. He really tried. That's so hard. It is so hard. And I remember talking to him on the way home and I, I just stood back and, you know, let the leaders I didn't even know what to do, but I I spent that day with him watching him socially and just fully recognizing where we were. He was Mm -hmm. eight. He had just, he was eight, almost nine. Mm -hmm. And that school year must've been that school year around that time. He had a teacher went in for parent conferences and she had worked for years in the um, special ed field Mm -hmm. as a special ed teacher and then had switched to just 
uh, teaching in a public school setting. And she said, I love him so much. Have you, and she said, I probably shouldn't say this, but have you ever thought that maybe he might be autistic? And I burst into tears, not, and she said, I'm so sorry. And it was this relief that finally somebody had acknowledged what I knew. Oh, yes. Yes. I get that. I mean, for lack of a better term, it was like angels and light. And I was like, this is the moment where I felt validated as a parent. And Mm -hmm. I felt seen. I felt like he was seen. She Mm -hmm. loved him and she saw the struggles he was having and she validated. And she said... I just have wondered, and these are some things that we might be able to do to figure out. And then, so she really was, she was like a little guiding light for you. Oh my gosh. I just forever will be thankful for her. Mm. And I went to my doctor. They had a therapist and a psychiatrist on their team that mm-hmm. worked within this office. So they all worked together And he said, well, I will be surprised if he comes back autistic. And I said, well, I want him tested. (laughs) So I went to the therapist and in Utah at the time, I don't know if it's the same. We were able to get that testing done through the school. Mm -hmm. They had a psychiatrist and a social worker. And I can't remember, but they did that testing through the school. Then we went through and worked with this therapist and, and he was diagnosed with ADHD. Uh, he was diagnosed as, a, as Asperger's syndrome mm-hmm. on the spectrum. So that was when we got the diagnosis. And I remember feeling, I, I have only my experience to go from nothing changed for me. Sure. In that diagnosis, he was, I didn't look at him differently. He was still my child. Mm-hmm. I just now felt like now I know it felt like power for me as a parent. Yes. Yes. And now I knew where I was headed. Now mm-hmm. I knew I was going to use this to help him. Mm. So for me, the diagnosis has always meant The only thing it's ever meant for me is it gives me labels, Uh correct labels about my child Mm -hmm. that allow me to navigate the system differently for him. Right. All of a sudden you can open doors that were closed before. And I think that that is the emotion that I'm feeling. I don't know if you're feeling it right now, but just from what you're saying, I think Mm -hmm. it's because my own son was diagnosed at age nine and I'm feeling, I'm feeling your experience deeply because I felt all of those things. And at the same time that he was diagnosed, my daughter was, and she was 14. And I just remember thinking, what? No wonder why we've struggled for so long. I didn't, I didn't know. (laughs) And, And so there was just this release of all of this, mm-hmm. all of this self down talk that I had given myself for years. I had just beat myself up as a parent saying, you're not doing it right. You're doing something is clearly wrong. And your child is suffering because your parenting stinks. And, mm-hmm. you know, I just, I went through all of these, all of these thought processes that didn't change a darn thing, except for my own self-worth as a parent. 
And so there was really no, there was really no change that was coming from how I was talking to myself as a parent. And quite honestly, how other people were perceiving me as a parent. And I knew they were because of comments that were being made. And so when the diagnosis came, I honestly, there was a little bit of me that wanted to say, see you little suckers. (laughs) I've been trying so hard. And then I realized, wait, I don't actually care anymore what anyone thinks of my parenting because I have, I came to a point where I decided what I'm doing, I'm doing for the sake of my child. And it has nothing to do with how anyone else views me as a parent. And, and that is a really, really fabulous place to get to. Don't you think? Oh, I think for me, it took me a little while after that Mm -hmm. to get to that point. That to me was when I really felt like I stepped into being a good parent. Mm -hmm. You had arrived. Yes. (laughs) When it was about what does this child, and I remember the moment it happened for me because I was at, we had been at swim lessons. I had three children at the time, a little, oh, three-year-old. And then I had, you know, my nine-year-old and then my daughter in between and he had a meltdown over pizza. Mm -hmm. And I remember these people turning and looking at us. I had this very clear moment in my head where I was like, I don't care what they think about me. This is Mm -hmm. about this child. And it was like, I went into this little bubble and it was just me and him. Mm -hmm. And it became just about me and him. Mm -hmm. I knew what to do. I was learning what to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, he had huge emotions that just, he had no idea what to do with those. And yes. And by the end of the day, after so much sensory stuff, he he was done. It was at night. He'd done beautifully all day. And, and I remember just, he didn't want to be touched. He didn't want to be, and he would let me hug him from time to time, which I know is different with every child, but, Mm -hmm. uh, he did not want to be touched. And so I remember just sitting on the ground, on the grass, mm-hmm. letting my other two just go and play and watching them and just sitting there with him while he had a full meltdown, mm-hmm. but just keeping him safe and people walking past and looking at us and just feeling like we had this little force field around us. And I, I was like, this is just us and this is where we're going to be. And, and it was the first time I validated myself and like, this is what it looks like to be a good mom for this child. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I love that you experienced that because some parents don't ever experience mm-hmm. that and they wrestle with the judgment always. Mm-hmm. And I, I wish I could tell you specifically what occurred and why it occurred and how it occurred. I, I think, honestly, I just had heard so much and realized I'm doing the best that I can. And what more can I say? That's, that's it. I'm doing the best that I can. And that was about me. And eventually I kind of shifted from, I'm doing the best I can to I'm doing the things that are purposeful and meaningful for my child in this moment. And that's, and I had to accept that that's where I needed to be. And I think that might have been 
those might've been some of the things that helped me shift into that healthier space. Do you know what helped you shift from feeling all the things to all of a sudden saying, this isn't about me. This is about my child and helping them meet their needs in this moment. I will say that moment Mm-hmm. did not mean that suddenly everything was better in terms of how I viewed myself or my parenting. Sure. Sure. It was just really the first moment I'd owned that. I think it's kind becoming, of a hard question. It is a hard <laughs> question. I mm-hmm. becoming more confident in who I was. Yes. that helps. Uh, one of the things for me, I may cry if I say this. So I apologize yeah. to listeners out there because <laughs> some of these things are emotional, but yes, when, I think a shift for me has actually been maybe in the last few years more so than even earlier, which was believing there was nothing wrong with my child. Oh, yes. And championing him as him. Mm-hmm. And just accepting that who he is is this amazing part of who he is. And mm-hmm. I want to say it's Temple Grandin. I mean, I love her, Um, (laughs) but it might be Temple Grandin. But I think the more educated I became, Mm -hmm. the more educated I became, the more I recognized the things he did were beyond my control. And I believe that in all parenting, Mm -hmm. uh, that my kids are going to make decisions. My kids are going to do things. And yes, I have to be a parent that teaches and upholds rules and consequences and things. However, Mm -hmm. when I take my own ego out of something, when Mm -hmm. I take my own implication out, it allows me to just show up as my best self. Now that doesn't always happen. We have worked through so many things. Mm -hmm. Uh, He turns 19 this week. Mm -hmm. And that being said, we still have things we're working through. Mm -hmm. He and I, but I took on the look, we're a team in this. Mm -hmm. And my job is to help you figure out how to interact with a world that is not set up to accept or interact with you. Mm. That's, that's a pretty powerful statement right there. And that, that experience of teaching your child how to maneuver in this world, I think that that's, that's really tricky and it's Mm -hmm. time consuming and it's so much advocating and it's teaching Mm -hmm. your child to advocate for themselves as much as possible. And it's teaching them how to understand their own needs and then realizing, okay, that's my need. So I'm going to, I'm going to do this to make this need. I'm just thinking once our children start recognizing their own needs, then they're better able to advocate for themselves. But that also takes time. All of these things, there is no such thing as a quick fix. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. And I think that's one of the people will say to me, you're so much more patient than you were 20 years ago. And I'm thinking, well, yeah. And I jokingly say my kids beat it out of me. But but the truth is, is all of the experiences we had together, they really forced me to be more patient with people who didn't understand. 
They mm-hmm. really forced me to be more patient with myself when I didn't understand. They really forced me to be more patient with my child because I always said if she would, she could, but she can't yet. And so you have to show up with that patience and with that understanding because it affects the ability of your child to accept themselves for who they are. And I say that in a space of love because we all make mistakes. We're human. We're parents. Mm-hmm. We're people. We will make those mistakes. We we do that even with our children who are neurotypical kids. Mm-hmm. So don't beat yourself up if you have a bad moment. Just acknowledge it, accept that it occurred, and make necessary changes for the future. That's, mm-hmm. that's life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I really appreciate you sharing these things. These are... This is, we're going to those places in our mama hearts that are tender. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's hard to share. And I appreciate that you're willing to go to these places with me. Well, I appreciate that there is a resource because when Mm -hmm. I was starting on my path, these were not resources. These were not options. So I love being in a space where we can offer options to parents. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because um, I am also very respectful of my son. I talked to him prior to doing this. I made sure it was okay that I shared I his part did. of the story. Mm-hmm. And he and I talked through these questions, which was really great for me. But one of the things I, what you just said, my, my mother was such a brilliant advocate for meeting people right where they were. Mm. And I remember calling her when he was young. We didn't know he was having all these sensory issues and he only wanted to wear sweatpants all the Mm. time because they were soft pants. Mm -hmm. And oh my gosh, the clothes, they they weren't the clothes I wanted him to dress in. Yes. I remember her, she just gave me so many like beautiful tidbits of Mm -hmm. really the way to meet everybody where they are. But one of the things she said is, what is your goal, Emily? Is it for him to go to school and learn? Or is it for him to, or for, and she was pretty good at cutting to the point. Or is it that other parents will praise you for how he's dressed? Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, well, that one was about me. Um, (laughs) Totally about me. There is a peer piece to that though, because we want their peers to accept them too. And then we realize, I think over time we realize, look, this is who they are. And so they'll Mm -hmm. need to find their own group of peers. Yes. So I think that this wasn't about me. I remember him telling me we moved to a new place we moved to Colorado shortly after he had been diagnosed. And mm-hmm. I was like, Hey, that looks like a nice person. I was trying so desperately to help him make friends. And mm-hmm. remember him looking at me one day and saying, mom, I am the type of person. So he's like 10. I'm the type of person who just needs four quarters, not a hundred pennies. Oh, that is the greatest analogy. Yeah. And I was like, what? And he said, I emotionally, I emotionally can't handle more than a couple friends. It's too much for me. And Mm. I think because I felt like I had to talk him through every single thing. Yeah. And we did in detail. And I had a lot of people criticize me for that along the way. 
he is very good at talking through everything. It's become one of his strengths. But the other thing I wanted to share with what you said, I think about, again, my mom Mm -hmm. said to me once, what if you just helped him get through what his third grade year looks like? Because I was so worried about the future. Yes, as we are, we do that. I was so worried about like... Is he going to go to college? Is he going to do this? Is he going to do that? Is he going to do this? And I put so much of my energy into that and then would come back in these terrified, fearful places with him. Mm -hmm. So a lot of my interactions were from a place of fear, not love. Mm -hmm. And I remember when she told me that, and that's become kind of a living mantra. Like, Mm -hmm. look, we're just going to make it through this year. Not that we're not thinking about the future, but I'm not worried about the future. I'm let's put all of our energy into what it looks like to get you through this year and what you need for this year. And for me, that was really powerful because in seventh grade, he was being bullied severely. Um, And also by some kids in our um, church congregation as well. Mm And so there weren't a lot of outside safe spaces for him. And he was in a big downward spiral. He was struggling and no accommodation I could put in place. He was on medicine for anxiety. Nothing we seemed to be doing was helping. Mm -hmm. And we made the decision that I thought I would never in a thousand years make, which was we were going to homeschool him because for that moment, That was going to be the best safe space for him to help protect him and his Mm -hmm. emotional state, especially knowing what the suicide rates look like in terms of neurodivergent Mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. So we'd made that decision. And it's interesting because then every year for the next few years, we just made the best decision for that year, which for him continued. And we would let him be part of that decision-making. We continued to homeschool him, but then we had all these other Colorado's great in that regard, because we have a lot of support. So he goes to once a week class at a school, mm-hmm. which is for homeschool kids. Uh, he loves that. He has He's going to graduate with these kids that he's been with since seventh grade. They do a graduation ceremony. They do all of these awesome things. They do social, they're having prom this year. It's just an exciting place. There's Mm -hmm. a technical types of college. So it's always for me, just like, what do we need to do? Where are you right now? What do we need to do for you? And that's been a powerful way with all of my kids. Uh Uh-huh to navigate and not be fearful. We go in with a lot of intention and a lot of love, and I'm not afraid of his future. I am excited for his future, which I, we've still got challenges to meet, but Mm -hmm. he'll do it. Mm -hmm. We'll figure it. I always tell him everything is figure outable. (laughs) I love that. Figure outable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Everything is figure outable. As long as you're here, that's Mm -hmm. the caveat. Like for him, we talk a lot about mental health and we have just gone at each thing as it comes up. So big emotions. Okay. How can we help you navigate those and learn how to feel them in healthy ways that are useful for you? Mm -hmm. Uh, I am not a huge fan of him masking socially. 
Sure. I have never been a fan of that. I want him to be uniquely him. So we talk through that and what that can look like for him in terms of stimming. And I really appreciate that you do that and that you support him in being in being him and feeling comfortable mm-hmm. in his own skin. I, mm-hmm. I think that's actually a beautiful lesson that we could all learn from. Mm-hmm. Well, and as he has gotten older, one of the things I adore about him, there are a lot of things I adore about him. He's one of my favorite humans. <laughs> He's just such an amazing human being. And yes. I learned so much from him. And he is really one of my favorite people. And um, that is genuine. I enjoy spending time with him. Mm-hmm. But he has looked into things for himself. So for instance, he has come and talked to us about I am autistic is part of who I am. Mm-hmm. And I would like you to just refer to it that way. And so we are really learning about what it looks like for him to take ownership of who he is. Yes. And that is powerful as well. And mm-hmm. I have watched him come to us and say, I don't know how to have good conversations. One of his stimming techniques is monologuing. <laughs> it's a stimming technique, just yeah. talking, right? Uh-huh. And he said, and I did not even really know what that was at the mm-hmm. time. He said, when I'm stimming, sometimes I monologue. Mm-hmm. I said, okay. So he and I would go for walks together and we would practice conversations. So like, what does this look like? You know, Mm -hmm. how could you engage somebody else in this conversation? Mm. And he's gotten really good at that. Sometimes he was doing something the other day and kind of he'll start kind of picking at his younger brother, like with words. Mm -hmm. And I said to him, are you feeling hungry right now and off emotionally? And he said, yes. And I said, I can tell because you are trying to get back on track by making somebody else upset. Um, And he said, oh, I am doing that. Thank you for pointing that out to me. I'm going to. So, wow, that's really mature. Well, but I think for him, we've had so much of that things that he wants. Where does he want to be with this? So emotions, he hated having full meltdowns because they were exhausting to him. Mm hmm. So we worked on a lot of emotional regulation, but also what does it look like to name our feelings and feel our feelings? And so he can have something spiraling and he is very good now. He meditates, he does, he's very good. I watch him pull that in and figure out how to navigate it. And even Mm -hmm. told me the other day, uh, he had a therapist or a counselor, I think it was a school counselor tell him, Sometimes you stop talking and none of us know what's going on. Can you just give us information so we can know how to respect where you're at? And so he will say, it's, I'm trying to process what you said and figure out the words that I want to communicate. If you can give me a minute. So he has little sayings he'll do now, like, or I'm feeling emotionally like overwhelmed or whatever. I need a minute. Mm-hmm. And and he goes nonverbal when he does that. 
Like he, okay. meaning he will stop talking and kind of pull in and stop interacting with the world. Mm-hmm. And we used to not know how to deal with that because mm-hmm. we thought he was ignoring us or whatever. Now we know. So I don't, I, I go a lot to him. Like when that happened, where did, what did that feel like inside of you? Cause he, and I, a different for every autistic child, because mm-hmm. not everybody is verbal, but for him, this is, these are some of the things that have been useful. Mm-hmm. Well, I love the tools that you have used. Emily, I really appreciate all of these things that you've shared. I feel like you've actually given us some good tools to consider and things to put in our own arsenal as parents. And I just feel like there's a lot of wisdom to be taken from mm-hmm the lessons that you've taught and I really appreciate it. And also the lessons that you've shared that your son has taught you. And Mm. I think sometimes we feel like when we have a child with additional needs, that we're the one doing all the teaching. And that's just not true. There's so Mm -hmm. much learning for us to do from our own children. And I feel like that's part of the process too. And it's part of the overall growth. Don't you think? Oh, I do. I, I feel like I am, I can confidently say I'm a better mother mm-hmm. because, because he is my child and because I get to be his mother and, and I will never discount the emotional struggle that has been there. Mm-hmm. I once read that there was a study done about, um, parents of autistic children that they have similar reflexes to combat soldiers in terms of PTSD with their child. And that resonated with me so much because yes. going to the grocery store with him as a young child, anything, it was this constantly having to be on guard. Mm-hmm. And I am a better human. I think that's where I, I am a better human because I get to be his mother. I, I wouldn't even say mother. I'm a better human being because he is in my life. Who I am and who we've become. Oh my gosh, he's such an amazing person. Mm-hmm. And when I see him interacting in the world, I feel like people are just so lucky to get to know him because he's so great, he's so witty, and he's so funny, and he's so empathetic, which does not always get associated with autistic people and he is and he's he is such a loving human being and and I think the number one lesson I will just say he's taught me Mm -hmm. and probably the number one lesson I would ever give to parents is trust what you know about your kids and own your power like what is my power to help this child I'm going to own that and I'm going to I had a therapist once who struggled with him a lot and she was a really good therapist, but not best fit for him. And she said, you know, I just think he might be kind of one of those kids who just never makes it. And I said, oh, okay, that's your thoughts about it. And we switched therapist to a different therapist pretty mm-hmm. soon after, because I trust my gut with this kid. Yes. And I encourage parents to do the same. So if it doesn't work, find a different way. If, if they're telling you, I, I just keep going until we get the right answers for him. That's really solid advice. And in fact, that's always a question that I ask. And I love that you kind of beat me to the question mm. by, by sharing that 
for parents, because I think it's just another thing that parents can learn and that they can absorb and say, you know what, I can trust myself. And Mm -hmm. I think that's a powerful feeling to have Mm -hmm. and something to own. So I just want to say to those of you that are listening that Emily is a co-host of a podcast called the lead and love survival guide. And I think all I want to say about that is just to mention that it is, I was on her podcast and Mm -hmm. I think, and it was so fun and it's Emily and her friend, Sarah, and they do such a solid job. I'm talking about things that I feel have value and that sometimes people don't talk about enough. So if you're looking for a good podcast to listen to, go check out the lead and love survival guide. But in saying that, Emily, can you tell me any other way that you can be reached? Yes, I, you can reach me at lead and love coaching at mm-hmm. gmail.com. That's our company uh, email. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can go to our website, which is leadinlovecoaching.com. We have lots of information on there about the coaching we do. We have a teen program that we are doing with teens right now, and it is really beautiful. We work with, we have a 12 week program that we work with parents as well. And it's really about figuring out where we are in fear and how to get to a place of love. And I know I talked about that earlier, but for me, it is such a powerful place to move to a place of love and intention. It just has helped me navigate the world better. Mm -hmm. And it's been a tool that I feel like is so powerful for parents and anybody really is that Mm -hmm. loving ourselves, knowing ourselves and believing that we can navigate life are really powerful beliefs. They are powerful beliefs. And I like beliefs. And I like that you you talk about it in terms of the, a shift from fear to love. So mm-hmm. I appreciate everything that you've shared. Thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Oh, it's been my pleasure. And for those of you that are listening, you can also follow me on Instagram at navigating.the.spectrum. See you next week.